Hello and welcome to the RCP Medicine Podcast. Welcome back. And today we have a very special guest joining us. I'm Dr. Parul Pringer. I work as an acute physician and an obstetric physician at in Wolverhampton. Fantastic. Lovely to have a fellow Wolverhamptoner with me today. That's a Wolverhampton. A fellow yam yam. A fellow yam yam with me today. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay. So I've got a case for you, Amy. Let's mm-hmm. see how you go. Oh. <laughs> We've got a 36. Very well at these. I think you'll be fine. Okay. We've got a 34-year-old woman who's of Caucasian origin. She's had two previous pregnancies, mm-hmm. uh, two babies at home. She's currently 36 weeks pregnant and she's referred from ED with chest pain. So she says that this chest pain is in the centre of her chest. It lasted about an hour. It's quite sharp and heavy. Mm. Uh, And she's not a woman that's had chest pain before. Okay. So my cognitive biases are telling me she's 36, she's pregnant, therefore she must have a pulmonary embolism. I'm going to try and put that to one side because obviously I shouldn't be relying on my cognitive biases, but it's just to be aware that it's there. So chest pain in pregnancy, pulmonary embolus is an important differential, Mm -hmm. but there are many other causes of of chest pain in pregnancy. So we've just got to be mindful of that and then take a thorough history to ensure we've covered everything. Mm -hmm. So is there anything else you'd like to ask me? What was she doing when the pain came on? She wasn't doing anything in particular. She was actually just sat in a chair at home watching television. Did the pain radiate anywhere? Well, she said it went up into her shoulders and she just couldn't get comfortable. Both her shoulders? Both her shoulders and her neck. Did it go into a jaw? She didn't mention jaw, but she certainly mentioned her neck. Did anything make the pain worse? So she just said she couldn't get comfortable, but it wasn't positional as such. Okay. Um, And it certainly wasn't any worse when she took a deep breath in or or moved around. Did anything make the pain better? She tried a couple of paracetamols, but she says it's not really touched the pain at all. Okay, and she's never had pain like this before? Never had pain like this before. Did the pain, it was there for one hour, and did it change um, in nature during that hour or intensity? It stayed pretty much the same, but in fact, she came to the emergency department with an uh, through with an ambulance. Yeah, and she was given some oromorph in the ambulance, and okay. that's not made the pain better at all. Okay. So, so then I want to ask about: Did she have any feel sick, or did she vomit with the pain? She's felt a little bit nauseous, but she's not vomited at all. Okay, any sweating? No. Did she lose consciousness? She didn't lose consciousness. Okay, any shortness of breath? No breathlessness. Okay. Um, has she had any indigestion or burning type uh, so that's pain? That's a good question. So she's got she's got some, what she describes as, you know, gastritis, and she's mm-hmm. taking some Gaviscon, but this is completely different okay. to her okay. usual gastritis. While she's not short of breath she said she's been short of breath for a while but she just thinks that's because she's 36 weeks pregnant she didn't remark on it being that significant okay is she felt more short of breath today in particular with this pain or is it not really no not really any particular shortness of breath on exertion well because of this pain she's not really been exerting herself that much she's dialed 999 and got here with in an ambulance 
Okay. Any um, abdominal pain or discomfort? So, important question to ask, Mm. really, because there are some diseases in pregnancy, Mm. um, such as acute fatty liver disease, which can present with upper abdominal pain and vomiting. Yeah. Uh, And even sometimes cardiac disease can present with upper abdominal pain, as we know, sort of inferior-like um, cardiac disease, mm. inferior changes can present with mm. upper abdominal pain, but she didn't have that. Okay, is baby moving okay? Good question. So baby's movements have been absolutely fine. fine. She's not remarked that there have been any different. Okay, just what time of day did this start? Eight o'clock in the morning. Okay, had she eaten? Had breakfast or anything she like that? She hadn't actually had breakfast at that point. Oh. Okay, so... Um, has she had any other symptoms at all of concern? Has she had a cough? Okay, good question. She's not had a cough. She's he not had a temperature. No. She's not coughing anything up, as say. Okay. Uh, she coughed any blood up? No. Any diarrhoea? No. No, constipation? Well, she's a little bit constipated, yeah. but constipation is actually quite common in pregnancy, mm. particularly late pregnancy. Okay. But nothing out of the ordinary. Okay. Waterworks, uterus. No urinary symptoms okay. to speak of. Are her legs swollen at all? So she does have some leg swelling, yeah. but again, that that can be normal for pregnancy, but she says that her leg swelling is no different and there's certainly no pain in the legs and no difference between the size of the legs so significantly. To, yeah, so it's not just, just a DVT? No, not really. Okay, any headache? No headache. Okay, okay, so... Um, any past medical history of note? Good question. She's got hypertension in pregnancy. So at 22 weeks, she was found to be hypertensive. Okay. And she was started on some nifedipine. Uh-huh. She's also got an elevated BMI. Okay. So nifedipine is a calcium channel antagonist, isn't it, that vasodilates? And is that what you often use in pregnancy for hypertension? So nifedipine is one of the choices. The other medication we commonly use is labetalol or methyl dopa. Okay. Um, And we definitely don't use ACE inhibitors, is that right? Not in pregnancy. She's also on aspirin, 75 milligrams. Uh, And that is because that's used to reduce the risk of preeclampsia. Because what I haven't told you is that her mother also had preeclampsia. And with her being overweight and having some hypertension in pregnancy, these are all risk factors. So she's been started on some aspirin. Mm -hmm. As well as her mother having preeclampsia, her father had type 2 diabetes and hypertension. Are they both still alive? Yes. Um, Did she take any medications apart from the nifedipine? Uh, the aspirin as well. Oh, aspirin. Anything else? No. Not allergic to anything? No. Okay. Um, does she smoke? She does. And how many cigarettes? Five does she cigarettes smoke? a day, but she's cut down in pregnancy. She used to smoke 20 a day. Okay, but she's still smoking. But she's still smoking. Okay. Is she smoking tobacco or is she using um, vapes or Again, cigarettes? good question. So she's, she's not smoking vapes. She's not taking any illegal substances or inhaling them, but she's just smoking her regular cigarettes. Okay. Any alcohol? No. Okay. And does she work? She does work. She works as a social worker. Okay. Is she still at work? She went off work at 34 weeks. Okay. Due to ill health or just she finished at 34? Combination of reasons. Maternity leave and she had some annual leave owing, so she she went off at 34 weeks. (laughs) Okay. So I guess I need to find out what she looked examination found what our observations were like i think before we get to observations other important questions to ask is did Mm. she have any issues in her previous pregnancy oh yeah so this is a lady that's had two children before 
and did she have any medical issues in those pregnancies mm. um and she didn't they were both normal pregnancies normal okay. vaginal deliveries no real issues in those pregnancies to speak of and you mentioned that her mom had preeclampsia yeah. but the patient herself hadn't had preeclampsia she in- hadn't had preeclampsia mm-hmm. in those previous pregnancies no so um so what are what in those in features in the history what's really sticking out as a red flag so um thinking it's this chest pain that is central and heavy in the center of her chest for one hour that she couldn't get comfortable with and it's going into her shoulders so that's really worrying me because um i mean you can get that with trapped wind but i mean that's going to be a diagnosis of exclusion or absolutely i think yeah, yeah. so um, but that really concerns me and the fact that she's hypertensive as well. Yeah. And that she's got a high BMI. Yeah. So actually, high blood pressure, high BMI, central chest pain radiating to the shoulders. This could be ischemic heart disease, actually. Yeah, so that's up there in the differentials. Mm. The other thing that's also really worrying is the fact that she actually had some morphine in, in the ambulance. Yes. And that's not really touched the pain. That's very concerning. And the other red flag really for me is is that when a woman thinks her pain is bad enough in pregnancy to ring 999 and come into hospital is yeah. also a red flag in itself okay. because it's the last place anyone who's 36 yeah. preg- weeks pregnant wants to be. And okay. so every pregnant woman that comes into the emergency department or to medicine, we really need to think carefully why they are there and ultimately are we making a diagnosis on these women because there's really something that's driving them there really absolutely okay so i guess what i need to be thinking about is the differentials and what i'm going to be looking for on my examination that's going to favor or sort of say it isn't that so um ischemic heart disease absolutely so looking at blood pressure yeah looking feeling a pulse listening to a heart lungs uh indigestion yeah dyspepsia Gallstones. Gallstones, yes. Um, we could also be thinking about costochondritis. Okay, that's a stretch. Um, it is one of the differentials for chest pain, okay. but and you but expect it to be tender, mm. worse on movement, certainly worse on breathing in. But it certainly is there in 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 the differentials. Mm. Pulmonary embolism. Yeah. Um, she wasn't really short of breath. That was worse than normal. And again, it was this central sharp pain, and it wasn't pleuritic in nature. So it doesn't really fit, but again, you can look for any signs of tachycardia um, when we do examine her. Um, she's hypertensive. She's got chest pain. Things that are sort of in the back of my mind, although they are quite rare, are things like aortic dissection. So that's a really good thought. So yes, whilst aortic dissection is rare, it can happen in pregnancy. Yeah. And it does typically present with a central tearing chest pain, which can radiate to the back and the shoulders. Okay. And if it does happen in pregnancy, it tends to happen in the late pregnancy, so the third trimester okay. in the postpartum period. Okay. And this woman is in the third, yeah. her third trimester of pregnancy. And women who are hypertensive are more at risk, and she's yes. a hypertensive. She also smokes. So it's just something mm. to bear in mind Absolutely. as a differential diagnosis. Pulmonary embolus, yes, again, can present with chest pain, but I would expect more breathlessness mm. than usual 
usual. I suspect this woman has been breathless for a couple of weeks because most women, three quarters of women, are breathless or experience a sensation of breathlessness by 30 weeks. Yeah. And that's just the normal sort of physiological breathlessness of pregnancy. Yeah. But it's very different to pathological breathlessness. So that's a really important differentiating point, differential point when I see women who complain of breathlessness. I sometimes ask them, so are you breathless at rest or when you're talking? And physiological breathlessness is characterized by women stopping when they need to talk and sort of sighing mid-sentence or particularly when they're on the telephone. But when they do some gentle walking, it feels better. The other thing I tend to do when I see these women is do their saturations and check what their saturations are on exertion. Mm. If they drop after about a minute of exertion, then something pathological is going on. Mm. And it's not just simply normal for pregnancy. Mm. So that's just a top tip for breathlessness as an aside. Yeah. But I think we've probably covered most of the differentials. Okay. But I think another one to consider for someone who comes in with central chest pain in pregnancy um, tends to happen more around labour is pneumomediastinum oh. so that can sometimes occur in pregnancy around the time of pushing and that presents with central chest pain uh, and breathlessness and that's often during the labour itself yeah. oh, okay yeah. what about um, I'm going to go completely off track now during labour um, amniotic fluid embolism so that can also happen during during labor yeah and that can also present with severe central chest pain and mm. sadly it can lead to cardiac arrest if it's mm. not dealt with urgently but yes that's something to think about but this mm. woman's 36 weeks yeah. so we probably don't need to think about no. that yeah um but i think we've got a good group of differential diagnoses to start with mm -hmm. so would you like some examination findings yes, please. so and some observations yeah. so her respiratory rate is 18 breaths a minute yeah saturations of 96 percent on air mm -hmm. blood pressure of 128 over 84 yeah heart rate of 112 yeah temperature of 36.6 so yeah. you don't like that heart rate do you i don't like the heart rate but also um one of my differentials was aortic dissection can i have a blood pressure on both arms please Ooh, good good yes yes you can so her blood pressure on the right arm is 128 over 84 yeah on the left arm it's 132 over 86 oh so, so no right. difference there no, no difference okay examination wise yeah so heart sounds reveal an ejection systolic murmur but mm -hmm. heart sounds one and two are normal heart mm -hmm. rate of 112 mm -hmm. again no change in blood pressure and certainly no evidence of uh, radio radial radio brachial delay yeah. her jvp is not elevated okay. auscultation of her chest is clear and there's no pinpoint tenderness along the costal margins she does have some bilateral leg swelling yeah the left is slightly more swollen than the right but no features of a dvt okay. uh, and there's no evidence of trauma um, and abdomen, she's got a gravid uterus. She's got a gravid uterus. Yeah. There's no concerns. Baby's active. Baby's active. Mm -hmm. okay. And no bleeding. Okay. Um, so, I'm worried about her heart rate. She's tachycardic. And I'm worried about this ejection systolic murmur, which could indicate aortic stenosis. Could do. An ejection systolic murmur can also be a flow murmur in pregnancy, so it can be normal. Okay. So sometimes this is where it gets tricky to try and differentiate between yeah. what's normal and what's abnormal. Mm -hmm. 
A heart rate of 112 in some women can be normal because heart rate does increase in pregnancy and it does increase towards term. Mm -hmm. Her blood pressure is probably acceptable for a woman who's got pregnancy-induced hypertension and she's not hypoxic and she's not significantly tachypneic or febrile. So... On balance, I would suspect the murmur is probably normal because it's a very soft systolic mm-hmm. murmur. Okay. And the tachycardia may be pathological or it may just be normal for pregnancy. But there's otherwise no sort of other positive findings on examination. So how do you know whether a tachycardia is physiological or not, or abnormal? So I think it's important to put observations and history findings all in context. So I think this is really important when we try and approach diagnosing patients and particularly women that are pregnant it's to look at the features of the history the examination the observations and blood tests not in isolation but in a whole context so I wouldn't look at tachycardia alone yes it's at the back of my mind is that a little bit high is it normal but in the context of everything there's definitely something pathological going on here yeah you always have to look at the bigger picture and look at the patient as a whole and I think what certainly happens um when you're busy as well actually yeah. and you haven't got as much time to think and we use a lot of our fast thinking our time yeah. thinking to make decisions is that we often don't look at the patient as a whole and just focus on one positive finding because we want it to fit a diagnosis because we've got another 30 people waiting and I know that we both have this shared interest with cognitive biases yeah. and the other thing <laughs> that that happens typically in pregnancies are the errors of omission and also premature closing so the minute we've got a diagnosis that looks like it fits we stop looking for other things we stop looking at the bigger picture and that's where we run the risk of missing things so my advice to people would really be that yes it's not a common thing seeing someone who's pregnant to be aware of yeah I'm not I'm not comfortable here so maybe I do need to slow my thinking down and actually switch to what we call the type 2 thinking where we we sort of think a little slower, look at all the possibilities, try and prove and disprove our hypothesis mm-hmm. and make sure we've looked at everything before we sort of prematurely close and move on. Yeah, it is difficult though. Yeah, it is. But it's. Yeah. I think it's just having that self-awareness yeah. to know actually we need to look at other things. Yeah. And also I think what's really important in cases like this is knowing when to ask for help. Exactly. So if you're not sure in someone who's 36 weeks pregnant, I'd definitely be calling the obstetricians in because they'll be able to give you advice about what's normal, what's not normal, and Mm -hmm. also her pregnancy history going back. Because sadly, you may not have access to her maternity notes. They may be electronic, but the obstetricians and the midwife certainly will. Mm -hmm. They'll also be able to listen into baby to reassure the mother because I'm sure that that Mm -hmm. is going to be her biggest worry. Yeah. But it's really important that we focus on the mother and liaise with sort of other people that we need to, to ensure that it's a multidisciplinary approach to looking after her. Absolutely. So looking at our differentials then, Mm. we now need to figure out which one we're going to go with. Okay. So we've got ACS, Mm -hmm. pulmonary embolism, preeclampsia, aortic dissection, gastritis, school blood disease. Did I say anything else? So we talked a little bit about pneumomediastinum, but we, but yeah, but not really. So, but yeah, so I think though, I think that's probably most of the differentials. So I can give you some bedside tests if you like. So we've done an ECG, uh, and it shows sinus rhythm around a hundred, T wave inversion in lead three, a mild left axis deviation. Okay. Now, 
There are some ECG changes that are normal during pregnancy. Absolutely. And I think one of those is T-wave inversion. You're right. So T-wave inversion and a mild left axis deviation yes. um, can be normal for pregnancy and you can yeah. get some mild Q-wave changes also. Okay. But this is probably normal for pregnancy. And what's interesting is after you've spoken to the obstetrician uh, and looked through your electronic set of notes, you find that actually she presented at 14 weeks with chest pain and had a very similar looking ECG. So you're reassured by that ECG. Okay. Uh, did you do a VBG? I did do a venous blood gas. I can tell you it's completely normal. Okay. And by completely normal, I mean it's got a, a mild respiratory alkalosis, which is normal for pregnancy. Okay. Blood glucose? Blood glucose was four. Would you uh, like another ECG? Yes. That's a really good point, actually, because I want to find out whether there's any dynamic changes in the yeah, ECG. because she's still in pain, so yeah. I definitely would do another ECG. And her second ECG um, does show some ST elevation Oh. in leads mm. V3 to 6. Now, that would really worry me now, because that's not normal in pregnancy. So she's got dynamic changes on an ECG... She's still at chest pain. I would want her to be on a cardiac monitor straight away. I would need to check her observations, blood pressure, oxygen saturations. And I'm now very worried about this ST elevation. This chest pain is this ischemic heart disease. Um, and I'd need help now. So who would you like to call? Um, so I want to speak to a cardiologist and an obstetrician. So I need to talk to both people who are going to be the obstetrician specialised in the pregnant person and the cardiologist is going to specialize in ischemic heart disease so all important points and this is where it's really important for you to know what goes on within your own hospital where you work yes. so some hospitals may not have a cardiologist or or their of course ambient uh, their pci service their angiography service is done elsewhere so it's knowing okay what is the pathway yes. in my hospital for these patients mm -hmm. it may well be that you have to call a cardiologist to you or actually this woman is in the emergency department mm -hmm. she goes straight across to the cardiologists um themselves uh, themselves so they're able to do coronary angiography okay. So even though we've got these, these ST changes um, and the history consistent with ischemic heart disease, um, do I need to rule out other things? So, so there are basic things that we can do. And yeah. in fact, the, the other thing that we talked about really was aortic dissection. And I think it's yes. still really important to rule yeah. that out. So what we actually did was we did a full set of blood tests. Yeah. Um, and essentially her full blood count and usernees and LFTs were normal. But she did have a troponin of 252. Oh, okay. Now I know that troponin isn't changed during pregnancy. So... Yes, that's quite significant. That's, that's very significant. And we did a chest x-ray as well, because it's yeah. always important that when if a woman comes in with breathlessness or chest pain yeah. that warrants further investigation to do a chest x-ray. Yeah. Um, but her mediastinum was normal. There was okay. no evidence of widening. And her lung fields were also normal. So it was a completely normal chest x-ray. So she hadn't got any signs of overload then, secondary to the possible ACS or ischemic heart disease, which is reassuring in a way. Um, we mentioned gastritis. Again, I think that's going to be down here. Very Completely, given, certainly yeah. given the ECG changes exactly. and the troponin rise. Exactly. Um, and gallbladder disease, I mean, well, I think that's by the by now um so yeah we need to get this lady sorted so while the cardiologist may or may not be in the hospital i obviously need to treat this lady so um pain relief yes so we mentioned that um 
she's had oral morphine, it hasn't helped. You could give her some more morphine that would help. And which you can do in pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would, uh, can you give GTN? Yes, you can. Okay. So again, the the important questions really to ask yourself is what would I do if this woman wasn't pregnant? So if this woman wasn't pregnant and came in with what you feel is going to be an acute coronary syndrome, Mm. and in fact, in pregnancy, there's a three to four fold increased risk of acute coronary syndrome. And if we look back, she's got the risk factors. She's got a family history of sort of metabolic syndrome. She's hypertensive. She smokes. She has a raised... BMI, So it's all looking like it's fitting. And so we would treat her exactly the same, but with certain caveats. So she's 36 weeks pregnant. um, And I'd give her low molecular weight heparin. So the ACS dose is of one milligram per kilogram twice a day. And that's the same in pregnancy. Same in pregnancy. The other thing I would think about is is dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, So aspirin and clopidogrel. There's less data for things like ticagrelor and prazogel in pregnancy. Yes. But I would certainly be calling my obstetric colleagues and my anaesthetic colleagues as well, because I'm giving this woman lots of treatment. She's very, very sick. And I agree, we need to get our cardiologists on board. And we've just got to bear in mind, not for now, but perhaps later on, if we're putting this woman on dual antiplatelets and um, low molecular weight heparin, the impact that would have in and around delivery and anaesthesia. Because she's 36 weeks pregnant. So she's going to be delivering pretty soon. Hmm, which is why everyone needs to be aware so the anaesthetists need to be aware from a knowing that one this woman is sick and two the implications it will have for them for anaesthesia and the obstetricians need to know because they're looking after this woman and it may have implications on things they use to induce labour which is why when these women come in it's essential to have a multidisciplinary approach okay so Amy would you like to know what happened yes so this lady was discussed with the multidisciplinary team and she went across to the cardiologist immediately. Yeah. So she had treatment for an ACS with low molecular heparin and dual antiplatelets. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they in fact did was both a coronary angiogram and a bedside echo. And the bedside echo was technically difficult due to patient position, pain and body habitus, but they said there was no signs of right ventricular overload or strain. But they didn't get a good look at the left ventricle, so it doesn't mean that it's really a normal scan. Mm -hmm. So that's just important to note. Mm. Um, And then she had an angiogram which showed that she had spontaneous coronary artery dissection. So she dissected her left anterior descending artery, which was the cause of her acute coronary syndrome. Gosh. Um, and this can happen in pregnancy. So women are more like women who have ACS in pregnancy are more likely to have a spontaneous coronary artery dissection due to the shearing forces um, in pregnancy and the, and the hormonal changes. But the treatment is with antiplatelets, uh, dual antiplatelet therapy. Um, and beta blockers as well Um, you know as you would treat outside of pregnancy you wouldn't use an ACE inhibitor within pregnancy uh, and there's no indication to use a statin really at this point Um, and that's some statins you would think about on a risk benefit sort of um, uh, way of thinking about it in pregnancy and is it right that it's not wise to check cholesterol during pregnancy because it's often a lot higher so it can go up to six times what is a normal value so yeah not particularly helpful I think the only patient group I would check it in is if someone has got a significant significant familial hypercholesterolemia which can put them at risk of of developing things like pancreatitis and things so only in those cases but she did really well and she was discussed with the anaesthetists and obstetricians and we came up with a plan for delivery um, and she was induced at a safe point um, and she's doing well. 
again, another really interesting case. Can you give me three key learning points that you want us to take away from that case? So I think the first point is history. Yeah. So really take that detailed, thorough history in the context of pregnancy. Mm. Know what is normal physiology for pregnancy uh-huh. and know what investigations are normal. Um, and what the normal findings are and ranges in pregnancy. And just have the same approach to history, examination, investigations as you would for a woman who isn't pregnant. Mm-hmm. And call for help. Yeah. So call your anaesthetist, call your cardiologist in this case, and certainly call your obstetricians and come up with a plan together yeah. as to what is best for this patient, obviously with them and their partner involved as well. Yeah. And I think um, what's key as well is that actually the biggest cause of maternal death is cardiac disease. Yeah, so we have a confidential inquiry that's run annually through Embrace. And consistently for the last few years, cardiovascular disease remains the leading cause of death. And it's actually acquired disease. So not the congenital or valvular causes, but the acquired disease. So we do need to take women who present with chest pain seriously. Now, most of them, it won't be an ACS, but we Mm. still need to ask those questions and think about it and do basic, simple tests like an ECG. Yes, of course, absolutely. And be aware that there are some normal ECG changes during pregnancy, but there are obviously the abnormal ones as well. Exactly. Okay. And and just making sure someone who is trained to look at ECGs look at them. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, so just because these women are seen in maternity and it may be obstetricians who don't look at ECGs as often as medical doctors do, which just highlights the importance of sharing knowledge, sharing skills and working together. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you very much for bringing that case today. Um, Thank you to everybody as well for listening to today's podcast. If you want to get in touch, please email at podcasts at rcplondon.ac.uk or you can tweet me at Amy Burbridge. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.